0: Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck and welcome to the HQ, a CHA learning and healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. The role of leadership is something that comes up often in conversations on the HQ. After all, leaders and leadership, Play a critical role in enabling so much of the change the initiatives and the innovation we talk about that is certainly true of both equity diversity and inclusion work and of creating psychologically safe and inclusive spaces and cultures so while leaders may be at the heart of so much and so much depends on leadership and leaders in most traditional structures leadership can also feel like a very solitary role in part because of these structures especially the rigid hierarchical structures we inhabit and often inherit when we take on these new leadership roles. They themselves create power barriers. It's a context many didn't choose. And I certainly hear from colleagues and peers and our HR leaders across the country, how isolated they can feel and how empowering and energizing it is to feel connected to others who may be dealing with the same issues and needs. COVID has likely magnified that for many, as doors have been closed and people work more distantly from home. At the same time, some leaders have needed to become more linear and focused on their organizations and teams with a kind of inward focus as they have dealt with the home fires of uncertainty and change that can be so magnified in any crisis. So today we will discuss how leadership has changed the past couple of years, how many leaders have adopted, at least for periods, but longer for some, command and control styles, and we'll discuss what the impact of that is on both their teams but also on the leaders themselves and what is the path through and out of this moment we all find ourselves in. To discuss this, I'm joined by Neil Pretty, CEO and co-founder of Aristotle Performance. Neil describes the start of his own leadership journey beginning when he was 13 years old in army cadets. He has held positions of leadership ever since then and started several businesses and led many teams as a result. Neil moved into the corporate space first as a coach, then specializing in working with high potential leaders who struggled with destructive and even toxic behaviors. His practice evolved into team and organizational development and has been on the leading edge of developing at scale solutions for increasing psychological safety from the earliest days of the pandemic. Together with his team, they work with organizations all over the globe and are the America's partner of the fearless organization. The opportunity to rehumanize the workplace while enabling leaders and teams to create conditions for success has become his calling. Hi, Neil, and welcome to the HQ.
1: Thanks for having me, Dale. I appreciate being here.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us today and sharing your perspectives on this. So, Army cadets. Um, <laughs> Perhaps we could start the conversation there with your sharing your own leadership journey and how you got here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a really interesting transition in that space. My my father was a firefighter for many, many years, uh, ended up retiring after 37 years as a firefighter. So when I was coming home and talking about sort of a paramilitary style of doing things, I had a mentor to follow. And and, and there was good guidance. And what one of the things that happened in Army cadets was an opportunity to see how in a command and control environment, in a top down environment, psychological safety can be made, psychological safety can be broken, there can be good leaders, there can be bad leaders. And, you know, one of the earliest formative experiences I had was when I was given my first assignment, the very first night I sat down with my, my section is what it was called, a section of a platoon, and said, how do we want to be together as a platoon? So mm-hmm. my first act as a leader at 13 years old, that was my first question. How do we want to be together? And I was stood up, marched outside and, and yelled at. That's not how we do things. You stand up, they sit down because you're above them. And you tell them how you're going to be. Right. So the very first act was actually an act of collaboration, an act of making being a part of the team, uh, You know, the conditions of the team, a group effort. You know, as a leader, I was acting as a member of the team with a role in the team that was important. And so I went back in and I sat or I stood up, I should say, and, and said, so how do we want to be as a section? Right. There was always this sort of angst with you know, you should do it this way. And I knew that it was wrong. And then part of my leadership journey was through that experience of actually becoming a second in command of a platoon, a platoon commander. And then uh, periodically, I would step in to lead the entire uh, Corps. And, And that was, I sort of had an opportunity to experience these different roles and levels of responsibility. And as I moved into the workplace, this natural instinct to sort of lead from among, was Mm -hmm. trained and developed out of me. And, And that was really when I started moving back into the corporate space and learning that people didn't have any leadership experience or training to the degree that i had expected to see. It was almost like coming home and going back to that first act as a leader, going, oh, this is what people are missing out on. They're being trained and developed to command and control because that is what we sort of naturally tend to as leaders when we're put into a position of anxiety. So there's this natural draw to try to control our environments and when you're put in a leadership position now you all of a sudden have this uh, authority to to go about fulfilling that need as a human being. So it, it, it was a good base point or, or, or foundation to refer back to. You know, okay, so this is the feeling that I'm chasing, this feeling of being a part of and among my team. And uh, yeah, that, that was a great lesson. And then a hard, there's been some very hard moments in that journey. I mean, I've led several hundred teams all over North America and you make a lot of mistakes. And there's yeah. a lot of learning when you lead that many people.
0: <laughs> sure. And you're coming into conflict with different parts of your conditioning and teaching yourselves. And, um, and I suspect, you know, the the process of, I guess, your re-education, so to speak, as you sort of describe it, um, you know, gives you an opportunity to also become a teacher.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's an aspect of that. And I think that in, in every interaction, there's an opportunity to be a student and a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that l- leader as a learner mindset, you know, it's often discussed, but never actually enacted upon because what people assume that means is that you read books. And sure, go ahead, read books. I've read hundreds of books. And, you know, especially when I was transitioning more into the corporate space, it was like, I need to read a lot Mm -hmm. to to learn the language, to understand what's going on, to catch up, to, to, to get in. And I, I did that. So yeah, sure. Read lots. But leader as learner really means, are you learning from your people? Are you listening to your people? And and I think that's this critical piece that a lot of people miss around the leader as learner is who and what are you learning from?
0: Good. Um, So I know you work a lot with different organizations and leaders and have been doing so through the pandemic, as you've described as well. Um, So what has been your observation and experience with how leaders and leadership has changed or adapted during this time?
1: Well, I think that there is a couple of things that have happened. One of them is just the levels of uncertainty. You know, uncertainty absolutely drives fear. You know, uncertainty is a fear machine. So Mm -hmm. what I've often counseled leaders to do is like create and develop processes so that you know how you're going to handle the future state. And those who aren't doing that end up in this command and control space, Mm -hmm. because what they're trying to do is create what Brene Brown refers to and and subsequently what I and my team refers to as counterfeit control. You know, for those of us that are old enough, I mean, I don't look like I'm old enough, but you know, I do remember... (laughs) <laughs> I I do remember sending off you know uh, uh, forms from the back of the Sears catalogs for for such and such an item, and then one day it showed up in the mail. And then nowhere in between that did I have any control over what was happening with my letter and my payment or the package coming to me. And now we get you know you send the same request to Amazon, and you get a confirmation that the request was received. All these different touch points and no more control, only the perception of control. And often leaders get stuck in this trap where they feel uncertain. The world, the future is uncertain. So instead of creating process and communication channels and common understanding, they start seeking things that they think give them control, but they they don't actually give them control. So they end up in this counterfeit control cycle Mm -hmm. and often it's because they actually haven't taken ownership of leadership and and own taking ownership of leadership is really creating the conditions for the team as an entity to succeed and then managing that team, not micromanaging the individuals and things like that, which are often responses to that counterfeit control, not actually working the way you want it to.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I would also think about, like some of the old uh, whitehall sort of studies and things like that talking about stress and control uh, right and that you know that that stress happens more often right with those people who lack control and and certainly those at the the lower part of hierarchical structures have less control over their work day and other things so i guess what i'm wondering in terms of your description description of this is that Is the command and control leadership style, right, a response to a situation uh, that is out of control or is it a a response to the people themselves or what are they trying to control?
1: I, I think what they're trying to control is their own future. And this is something that I know some of my colleagues in the change management space talk about is this. In the past, there was this belief that there was a static future state that we could depend upon whereas today's leaders are in a position where they have to effectively lead with a running hypothesis about how the future state is gonna look because things are changing so rapidly. And this provides both a challenge and an opportunity. And the challenge is that if you can't make that mental shift, you're stuck with this command and control way of doing things. But if you can make that shift, where the future state is a hypothesis you can manage in a fundamentally different way and you stop looking for certainty about the future because you know that it's not possible so you start looking for a uh, relationship building relationships and the kind of foundational pieces that allow you to navigate the future state whatever it is mm-hmm. so i think that's a big element of, of that is, is and, and then I think another part of it is just people are mentored whether they think they are or not. We emulate the people we are around. We follow, and this was a something that I experienced that I was, I started in this state where I, I really had a, an intuitive knowledge of leadership and that was trained and developed out of me and leading well had to be trained and developed back into me and that was a long both ends of that were a long journey so it's because it's a series of small steps people often don't notice what they're learning to do whether it be positive or negative so it's important to also surround yourself with other leaders other than the ones that are just in your organization so that you don't get trapped by just what they're doing above you so if they're fearful that leadership style that's reflected in that fear is what you see and it will slowly become what you emulate as well. So it, it gets passed down. And I think that's adds to the level of complexity that, that people have to navigate. So uh, I think it's a complex question or complex answer.
0: Yeah. But I think also a reminder then, I think in your answer that, you know, those leaders are all leaders, I guess, also have, um, you know, a, a power in terms of the example that they present. So, um, so in terms of what they tolerate or what they display, right, or is giving permission of the same to others, whether, you know, through that informal mentorship, as you described.
1: Yeah, well, well, you brought up inclusion for, and I think this is one of those pieces where, you know, leaders often hesitate in the moment that they know they should act. You see somebody that says something that's that's inappropriate or untoward or might further silence other people, whatever it may be, you know, it could be as simple as, oh, that, that's a, your idea is no good. You know, well, hold on. As a leader, that's a time to step in and say, well, we don't know if it's no good. Let's there. Maybe, maybe you're highlighting a problem and we together can make solving this problem a team sport and you know, that's a much more productive response. So you have to be in a, a self a sense of self have a self, sense of self awareness. As I stumble over my words, and, and I think there's also uh, a need to seek out other leaders that do those kinds of have those kinds of responses,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's a good segue as well, I think, into the you know, the next question I want to sort of discuss with you, um, you know, as we talk about, I mean, one is you know, we're two white men sitting in the room having this conversation. So I'm very sensitive to our own position of privilege. Um, And we certainly can't speak for all leaders, Um, but, you know, for that reason, we have been exploring, as you say, you know, EDI through an extended series on the topic, and we're gaining different perspectives along the way, including the role health leaders have to play in creating and fostering that safe and inclusive workspaces. So beyond what you've just shared around, you know, surrounding themselves with other leaders, I mean, what is your perspective on on this and, and the role that leaders do play in this?
1: Um, I think the number one thing that a leader can do to create the conditions for inclusion on their team is create relationships with the people on their team. And when I say that, I really mean it. I mean, like, you, you have to spend the time. You have to invest the time. Some people, it's going to be three months. Some people, it's going to be three years before they, you have a kind of relationship foundation where they're really ready to come to you. The extension of that is encouraging your people to have relationships with each other. Because one of the things that's interesting about the, the research around inclusion and diversity is that without relationship, the inclusion and, and diversity of any kind doesn't get capitalized on. And when I hear the word capitalized, I don't think make a bunch of money from. I think those people having the opportunity to come to work with their whole selves, that's really they're contributing. And, and people get meaning from really, in my mind, two things, the things they take responsibility for and the sense of contribution they have. So that relationship, those one-on-one relationships that expand into the team, having relationships with each other, provides a foundation for, for higher quality feedback and, and higher quality interactions in general. But then they start bringing their whole self. So now all of a sudden those experiences are welcome. Now more people with more experiences are more welcome. So it, I think that part of leadership it is so underrated that, and, and it's it can be a long tail effort. So you don't get immediate feedback. And I think that's one of the challenges with leadership as well, is that the things that make a good leader don't get immediate feedback. They're Mm -hmm. not measured quarterly. They're rarely measured at all. And and, but they're the thing that makes good make good teams. So if as a leader, you're not investing that time, you're going to be working overtime doing other things to try to make up for it. So it's like it's a long tail effort, but if you don't put it in, it's going to cost you in the end. And I think one of the things that gets cost is this inclusion and diversity aspect, because like you say, we worry we are in a position of privilege and we would be uh, really missing the mark if we weren't able to at least acknowledge that. And what do you do about it? You have to get to know people.
0: So, I mean, this is maybe somewhat of a rhetorical question, but if the role of a leader is to get to know people to build those relationships what ha- how does that i guess get reflected in a healthcare organization where very commonly a nurse leader for example has a span of control of right over 300 people um so i mean what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. i
1: mean you, you know you're making a really good point and i think one of the things that, okay, so in this take this situation, for example, um one of the things I always say about feedback is that if you want to offer someone feedback, you need to invite feedback from them at least five times first and demonstrate demonstrate to them how you want feedback to be received. So you have to have the courage to ask, the courage to listen, listen, and the courage to respond in a way that demonstrates what you hope they will also respond with. So in those situations, I mean, 300 people is not a team. There's going to be sub-managers and things like that. That's a span of control is different than, uh, you you know, a a team in and of itself. But in those situations, you can rapidly create the conditions for someone to see, oh, my thinking is welcome here because my leader is asking for my feedback and they're not saying things like, oh, good job. Oh, that's a great idea. They're saying, I appreciate the courage it took to give me that feedback. How would you like to handle this? I appreciate the curiosity. I appreciate the thoughtfulness. It's like, what do you appreciate about that person that tells you more about who they are, but also in that relationship building, but also encourages them to give you more meaningful feedback back to the leader as learner component. So, you know, if you want to develop a relationship with somebody, the first thing you actually do is become curious about them.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. And we've certainly been hearing a lot about the importance of curiosity um, as a as an important leadership skill and, and around inviting uh, uh, that inclusive space. Um, so, I mean, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about the command and controls, Um, style but I mean do you see other leadership styles sort of being more formally expressed or as you might sort of um, define them yourselves um, that support or hinder you know the the move towards um, equity diversity and inclusion?
1: Yeah I think there's sort of three uh, three leadership styles that I see really working and I think that There's sort of a mix of those styles and they're, you know, uh, uh, servant leadership, adaptive leadership, and uh, sort of leader as coach slash facilitator. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why those have stood out to me, one, there's lots of research that they provide good outcomes. But the reason why I don't ever attach myself to like one model and say, this is the way Because every person has a style, every team member has a style that's gonna work best with them. And then every leader has a style that's gonna work best with them. So I think those are really good foundational um, uh, leadership uh, frameworks to come from, but they also are skill-based. You know, like there's lots of, there's adaptive skills. Your, Your ability to, you know, both be in the moment and dealing with the moment, and at the same time being able to have a meta view of of what's going on in the whole system, for example. Being able to see the big picture while you're even in a one-on-one interaction. That's an adaptive skill, and and for example, during COVID, that's very, very, during that time and and subsequent time now, it's very important to be able to do that. Uh, Coaching, for example, coaching is a skill. And one of the things that leaders get sucked into is having the right answer Mm -hmm. instead of coaching the person. And it's, you know, some jobs, some work and some environments naturally push people more towards having the answer. So. Can you coach in that environment? Well, it takes a lot more strict discipline on oneself to be able to do that in that environment. And is it appropriate? Do you have the relationship for it? So you can't say, Oh, go be leader as coach and coach everyone. Not everybody wants that. It's not always effective, especially if you don't have skills for it. That's a highly skilled uh, uh, profession where even within the profession, there's lots of people that aren't that good at it. Mm -hmm. so so it, it, it's a skill. So if you think that's the framework, go get more skills in it and practice it and become good at it and, and then blend it with some of these other frameworks. So I think it's what is the outcome that you want for people? And I think that's more of the framework that I'm attached to is the fundamental belief as a leader that the person you're leading can be more than they see for themselves mm-hmm. And I think if you come from that space, you can lead better no matter what.
0: Yeah, I I think that is the goal. So, and if we acknowledge then that through the pandemic that many leaders have adapted to assume a command and control style and approach, um, what is the impact of this style on staff psychological safety and uh, and ultimately the, the leaders themselves
1: yeah well it's, it's interesting you mentioned this because i read uh, a an article that was speaking pulled out some teased out some highlight from from high some high level data from some research that was discussing the various generations mm-hmm. and how they had been effective during pandemic and what levels of burnout were. And the millennial generation was actually the generation that had the most high performing teams. So they were creating good team condition conditions and they tend to lead from this more adaptive coaching style or mm-hmm. style, they tend to lead from that and, and Gen X and above tend to revert to this command and control environment or their condition as a leader Millennials were also the ones with the highest level of burnout. So they're creating team, you know, high performing team conditions where there's lower burnout and the people above them are having a lot higher, lower burnout. But they're reverting to command and control and ultimately creating the conditions for more burnout. So you might also be able to argue that that coaching style took a lot more effort. Because they were probably picking up the ball as a leader, navigating mental health and things like that, when there wasn't enough professionals from the appropriate positions to do that work. So I think there's a couple of things going on there, but ultimately, I think that command and control style tends to tended to be more in the older generations, and as a result, burning out more people. And certainly, in the a- anecdotally, I would have said that that was also the case.
0: So it's protective of the leader themselves, but not of their teams. I think is what you what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to summarize all of that. Yeah, it, it absolutely the command and control, that counterfeit control, that those pieces. I mean, they're they're very inward focused. You know, I need what I need, and you know, forget what you need because I need to survive this moment too. You know, becomes the narrative.
0: Okay. So do you see this pendulum swing back or, you know, is this, you know, unleashed sort of the uh, the inner demon that's inside so many of these leaders? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he, he, here's the problem. Uh, okay. So uh, I had someone challenge me uh, about a year ago to write an essay around why psychological safety wasn't necessary. Hmm. And And it was actually quite easy because the answer is you don't. You can operate from a command and control and absolutely produce results for a period of time and in certain conditions and all these kinds of things. And like, what other consequences come from that? People are gonna hide mistakes. So eventually there will be some kind of catastrophe that you could have avoided. It doesn't have to be the Challenger spaceship, but if you're in the finance industry, for example, and you're running with command and control, and your people aren't reporting into you mistakes or, or or problems that they're identifying, those are considered fraud. So now you've led a team that's committed fraud, whether it was by accident or on purpose, it doesn't really matter. It's framed the same way. So sure it works, but it comes at a cost and it can come at a personal cost too. And I think that's where I see leaders really struggling is it, Command and control style can come at a personal cost because I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and goes to work with the intention and hope that their people go home feeling like crap about themselves. So where is the breakdown? So I think there isn't necessarily a pendulum shift away from command and control. I think there is a wish and a hope that people have these more adaptive servant coach style leadership of leadership that are meaningful, but I think people are rewarded for a command and control style of leadership. And I think leaders are massively, massively undertrained. And, and when we're talking about the medical field, for example, we have brilliant, like really exceptionally brilliant people with amazing expertise, but not necessarily leadership expertise. So do we see leadership as a separate skill And train and develop people accordingly, and the answer is, you know, most commonly, no. We 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 put people in a leadership position and hope it goes okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I think as we might be saying as well, right, is that there's this fallback or learned position of command and control in the in the moment when there are stressors or crisis, as we define it in a larger context, and so you know given that they haven't been trained in many cases, um, right, that the move into a command and control uh, style of leadership, as we might define it, is not intentional. Um, It's, right, they've adapted, sort of speak, themselves. Um, And, you know, so it's not maybe their natural posture, they see results, right, they're getting positive reinforcement, as you're saying, that they're doing the right thing, and therefore should continue to do that. Meanwhile, their teams are, uh, you know, experiencing a lack of safety and a lack of control themselves. Um, And so there's all these other ripple effects that are starting to come out and and burnout as we're sort of talking about. So is there a a mirror or, or some other mechanism that can be put in place that a leader can examine and understand for themselves about what they're doing and how and the impact it is or, you know, just that give them a chance to reflect for themselves what their their approaches are
1: yeah I think instead of trying to identify am I doing command command and control am I reverting to this uh am I doing what my leader does that I don't like instead of doing that I think it's a lot easier to simply engage in the behaviors that sort of supersede that Mm -hmm. things like why do you have a one-on-one you know do you have a one-on-one so that you can offer feedback or do you have a one-on-one so you can receive feedback and and flipping things on its head like that you know I think are just a really simple way to get started and regardless of what kind of leadership style you have that's going to create a different dynamic where mm-hmm. you're curious about your team where you and that starts changing things immediately. So it's almost like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about if you're already, if you might have been doing this in the past, just go about doing good things.
0: Yeah. So assume the, the appropriate posture regardless. Um, and, you know, you'll get feedback perhaps in terms of how you've been performing, but you can still manifest the positive change that you would be looking for
1: yeah yeah I mean I think leadership is a practice you know it's it's like a physician it's like there's this constant learning aspect to it you know I mean like I mentioned before I've like I've led several hundred teams and I still learn about myself about how to interact with people better how to do these things and I mean I train this stuff and still see things that amaze me. It's like, it's amazing that somebody would go out and say that and you go, okay, well, what would lead a leader to say something like that? Well, okay, well, this, you know, uh, gentleman, this v, you know, senior vice president is an alcoholic. Oh, and has been alone in his apartment for, for two years. Okay, well, you know, can I have empathy for that person? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and understand that that that's, that's a, a lot going on in sort of in the wings that we might not first identify as a reason why they might say something, or are they just a command and control, you know, leader who's a jerk? Well, there's, there's more of a story there. So I think that's the other side of leadership, which is also humanizing leaders. And the nice, I would say one of the nicest uh, side benefits of being really focused on developing relationship with people and being curious about their condition and stuff like that. It helps reduce this feeling of being alone as a leader. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing that will drive a person to this command and control narrative faster than feeling alone. Mm-hmm. If you feel you're in it with your team, if you show that you're in it with them, now you have a team, you're a part of a team as opposed to alone. And I think that's one of the biggest things that leaders miss out on is the opportunity to feel a part of something themselves and to shed some of this burden. Cause like, you know, coach people do performance reviews, do, do, you know, uh, salary assessments, do all this stuff. And it's like, most of it is management. Leadership is a relationship. And that is totally different. And, and as a, when you're in that position, you have to separate those two things and understand that you can manage better if you lead better in leadership as a relationship.
0: Yeah, I think it, it comes back to, I think some of the points I was making in my opening introductions, right? But, right, yeah. I mean, if they, you know, the, the cliche is that, you know, it's lonely at the top, so to speak, um, right? I think what you're ar- arguing for, right, is that, you know, don't sit at the top, right? Sit among, right? I think back to your story as well. Um, and then you gain those relationships and the solidarity of, of belonging.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about like Jack Welch is quite famous for, for uh, you know, the CEO of GE, long time CEO of GE. is quite famous for saying, I don't understand leaders that say this. You're, you surround yourself with good people and you never have this issue. You know, of course, for Jack Welch, he gets to surround himself with whoever he wants. (laughs) But what's interesting is that, like, when I so I mentioned that I traveled around and I led lots and lots of people, and never once did I have a team full of people that weren't interesting, amazing human beings. You know, and uh, there's a Lincoln quote. You know, I don't like this man, therefore I must get to know him better. Mm -hmm. You know. If you find people boring, it's not because they're boring; it's because you're not curious. You know these mm-hmm. kinds of things. You, what it tells me is that the key to not feeling alone is developing relationships with the people you work with. You know, if they're a member of your team, it's like, you know, sure there are boundaries, uh, but if you want a relationship to be meaningful, push the boundaries out appropriately and you get to have that work environment where you don't feel like you're facing the world well.
0: Yeah. And you're talking about taking down walls or in other languages we've, we've heard in other spaces about being vulnerable, right. Being open and um, accessible. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that approachability and, and in, in the medical field, I mean, approachability is really key to creating good team and team conditions You know, being and this is one of those pieces where approachability isn't having an open door policy, because just because you have an open door doesn't mean people walk through it. You have to walk through their door. And ask them how they're doing and actually listen and want to know and and create the conditions for those conversations to happen proactively. And I think that's one of the things that that people missed out on on the during the pandemic was the only thing, the only barrier that virtual creates is a timing issue more than anything else. It's a timing issue. OK, so what does that require to face? Intention. You know, it takes intention and actually framing what you want to gain from a conversation. You know, and I think that's where people misfired on the pandemic and, and the the and just working from home in general it's like it doesn't suck more or less it's different and different requires intention to understand and navigate successfully
0: yeah i think it's a it's a great uh, bit of insight for sure i mean i think it's you know we're moving away from the the organicness of the water cooler sort of approach to relationship building to the being the intentional part of it so those people are still there, right? You just you're not gonna run into them in the hallway, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't try to do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I think that that to me is always the thing that's baffled me about leadership. It's like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So is doing a poor job as a leader. So you might as well have some intention to to do well as a leader and learn and grow and do all these things that are. You know also maybe hard and stressful and whatever, but like you, you know, it, it's like uh regret or discipline. You you know, both have their pain points, but you're gonna have to pick one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Leadership is the same. Learn and grow and develop and learn and grow grow and develop your people, or don't and suffer the consequences of both ultimately.
0: Thank you. So um, maybe just before we then close off, Neil, um, you've left us with a lot to think about today. Any final comments on how leaders can act and, you know, with that kind of intention to create a psychological safe space for everyone?
1: Uh, I I think one of the things that leaders can do is, is, you know, measuring psychological safety and and talking about it with their teams is is easy. Uh, Pretty low time commitment and huge positive outcomes. And I think that's the kind of, those are the kinds of conversations that lead to teams understand their team process better. And you're able to effectively crowdsource ways of working better together. And if you create the conditions and the time and the opportunity to talk about those things, productivity goes up, collaboration goes up, inclusion and diversity goes up, all these other things, happen naturally instead of feeling like you're pushing a boulder up a hill. And I think that's one of the things that I can recommend is as you build these relationships, build cooperative agreements, make the team's success the team's job. You're able to have a completely different kind of experience in the workplace and produce all these fantastic outcomes and navigate an uncertain future. And and I think that's what leaders need to be focusing on and doing. And, you know, it's, it's okay to be imperfect. And I think that's the other side of it is, is leaders are – there's a lot that's put into leaders' backpacks. There's a lot of burden put on leaders and expectations put on them without a whole lot of training. And that's something I would recommend for higher levels, you know, above those sort of frontline leaders is – what are you putting into their backpack that's taking them away from developing relationships with your team that should be handled by somebody else? And if you're able to create the conditions for leaders to invest in relationship, your organization will succeed more. Your people succeed more. like there's there's this huge upswell of positive things that happens in an organization and it's and it's easier and there's less burnout. And I think that's one of the things that I'm starting to move towards in in our work is creating the conditions for the success without burning people out more. How do we do all this and take stuff off of people's plates instead of putting more on their plate?
0: Very good. Uh, I appreciate those final comments. And I think you'll give people um, places to pause and reflect and think about what they can do more to uh you know take some of the garbage out of their backpacks and make space for the things that matter um but those relationships and that that time and that intention um clearly the most important part so thanks for joining us here today on the hq um and uh hope to talk to you again excellent thanks for having me dale thanks neil you've been listening to the hq and i'm dale sherback your host You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.